0: think about bariatric surgery for people who are considerably overweight, so let's start by talking about obesity. What's the definition?
1: You know, when I usually do my little PowerPoint slide, I show these really big demographics that the CDC puts out, so they're kind of the leading expert on quantifying that. So obesity has a couple ways of describing it. Now, we deal mainly with morbid obesity, which is where the surgery kind of part comes in. And for morbid obesity, we define it as a person being about 100 pounds over their ideal body weight, or in specific CDC terms, that if your body mass index is 40 or above, or if it's 35 and above with illnesses that go with obesity. Now, BMI stands for body mass index. That's a measure of your height versus your weight. And again, it gives us a number of, uh, you know, we're able to compare how large a person is or how small a person is more or less.
0: So how many of us are considered obese?
1: Well that is the part that's growing because if you look back at the C D C slides of obesity and now just get into obesity, which is a BMI of thirty and above, the CDC kind of started tracking that at least back in 1985. And most states at most had a 10 to 14%, you know, incidence of that or prevalence I should say, I guess people all across the boards. By the time you get now, there are states that have well above 35% of their population being obese. So it's tripled.
0: Shouldn't it be easy to lose the weight? Why can't we?
1: Well, that's the multifactorial part. People think it's just behavior, it's just diet, but it's actually everything. And the big part that we learn, it's also genetic. So it runs in families, it can skip generations, it can have a high penetrance, but it is also the second strongest genetic characteristic after your height. There is truth to the old thing of... So-and-so can eat something and not gain it, and if I eat it, I put on two pounds because there's something called set point theory, and they've proven taken identical animals and even people, and they fed them the same diet. And the same diet, same activity, one animal gains weight, one doesn't. And, and that's the difficult part is that then we start getting things like high blood pressure, diabetes, which as most people probably know or they don't know, number one cause of blindness, number one cause of amputations. You get things like sleep apnea that most people don't know about, which is a choking syndrome when you sleep because your airway gets blocked and people have heart attacks and strokes and they can pass away from those things.
0: So if we lose the weight, we may lose some of these issues?
1: Definitely. And that was the interesting turning point is that back in the early 50s, 60s, 70s, bariatric surgery was a quote-unquote weight loss type of event surgery. And then we saw that these other medical issues get better with it. So actually, our national organization has changed their name just from bariatric to metabolic and bariatric because we actually more target the illnesses even now than the weight.
0: Okay, let's talk about the options we have for slimming down.
1: Well, this is a great time. Uh, There are several options, actually. The most common is called sleeve gastrectomy. That is a procedure where we actually downsize the stomach by removing about 85% of it and creating a, a narrow kind of conduit stomach. The second most common is probably gastric bypass, which actually for the longest time was the most common, but now it's second. And that's the one that Al Roker had and a few other people of popular report. And at any rate, with that, we divide the stomach, giving you a small front pouch stomach. So you have small volume stomach, just like with a sleeve gastrectomy, but we also reroute the intestines so food takes a faster path through. And then there are a few others. Now, we don't see many of the lap bands anymore, but the lap band is still out there for a person who wouldn't be a candidate for those either, too. And and we specifically want that that is still available. And there are a few other procedures that are not so commonly done in this area, like BPDS. And I'm not going to go really into depth about that, but it's a much more extreme kind of bypass surgery.
0: This isn't just an operation. There's a whole lot more involved here.
1: The fallacy early on was that these procedures were just standalone events, and we've learned that it's more of a program that really makes these so successful. So what we bring to the table these days is a very good optimization preparatory schedule with the patients before surgery, so it lowers the risks. And that's interesting because they actually say these procedures, statistically now, are safer than having gallbladders done or knee replacements. Second, we want to support these patients afterwards. So if I were to just shake your hand, do your surgery Tuesday, and send you off into the sunset, you wouldn't have the good long-term results. It's when a patient stays attached to the office. And then we also do public support group meetings at the hospital to support patients further down the road. And with long-term care, we see these really good results. So it's a long-term engagement strategy now.
0: How common is bariatric surgery? Do a lot of people take this step?
1: It is available more commonly than you think. About 10, 15, 20 years ago, insurances really didn't cover this. Nowadays, most insurances do, and especially Medicare, Medicaid programs. The, the federal government has realized that when you are morbidly obese, you actually do cost more money to the system. Not only does it decrease your quality of life, but you know the government's about dollars, unfortunately. So a lot of my patients now are over the age of 65. So, And they are doing great, actually. They are a very, very uneventful population. They, they are very, very structured, and they follow the recommendations very well. So we've had good results.
0: Now, you're also getting patients from other surgeons, right? People needing hip and knee replacements are just too heavy for the procedures.
1: They're not only being sent to me because they need a hip or knee replacement. They're being sent to me because they can't have their hip or knee replacement because the new data shows the orthopedic risks go up by operating on people at these extreme weights. And and some facilities will not even let the orthopedist do the procedure until the patient gets their weight down because the risks are so high.
0: And what are those risks?
1: Infection, joint complications... Then the orthopedist has to take it out, and now you have a really bad situation. You have a septic space without a joint in it.
0: Doesn't that push the original surgical procedure back quite a lot?
1: Well, honestly, the one good thing about this weightless surgery is it is gradual. So we don't see an extreme event happen. And sometimes that's a misconception. If you get one procedure versus another, they're really fast. They're actually all designed to be a little gradual. So it may not be exactly on the timeline of when you want to get your hip replaced, But within two years, you will have lost the weight that's going to make your orthopedist happy. And the other side of it is that we see the pain that comes with those orthopedic problems decrease while you're losing the weight, even before you have your replacement.
0: Dr. Kreitz, thank you for giving us a lot to think about and a whole lot of good information.